This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. Gareth Wheeler today here on TSN 1050. Busy show today. Cramming as much as humanly possible into two hours of radio entertainment. That's the goal today here on Toronto Today. Uh, coming up on the show, uh, Bruce Arthur will join us. I don't know if he was glued to the U.S. Women's Open this weekend just so he could beat himself up and expose himself to Donald Trump more than usual. We all know how Bruce Arthur feels about uh, feels about the Donald. He may have just absolutely done that to torture himself. But uh, there was a lot, obviously, going on over the weekend. Uh, we'll touch on as many topics uh, with Bruce as we can, including the Indy Downtown, uh, the Women's U.S. Open, and your Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Dan Ralph will drop by, who has been covering the CFL for at least six months now. Hall of Fame member of the Football Reporters of Canada. Uh, we will we'll talk to Dan about all things uh, CFL. Very interesting weekend, and, and we'll get into the Argos. They've got uh, Monday Night Football next Monday night. So a long week for the Double Blue as they get ready for the, uh, the Red Blacks in town. Uh, that's going to be a fun night because the 97 team is being honored. So Doug Flutie's coming back among others, Mike Van- like the locals who sometimes you don't see out. Like Pinball's omnipresent. So Mike Clemens showing up isn't that big a deal because he's there anyway. But Mike Vanderjat's going to show up, Paul Masati's going to show up, Pee Wee Smith is going to show up. Uh, all who have been uh, I guess not regulars at Argo games but are in the area. Uh Mookie Mitchell's coming back among others, Pierre Verschval's coming in from Quebec. Um so it's It'll be a fun night, and they're giving out the Flutie bobbleheads, which will be fun. Sometimes bobbleheads don't look anything like the person that they're supposed to be. Uh, the Flutie one actually works, uh, so they'll be giving those out next uh, next week. And Lord love them. Uh, you know, the Argos have been criticized over the years for not doing everything they can to fill up the building. Um, to honor the 1997 team, uh, they are offering tickets in the upper deck which is still, upper deck for football is probably a better place to watch the game from because you can see the entire field develop. Um, two tickets for 1997. Like 10 bucks a pop. Can't really argue with that one. There's one of the excuses you can just sort of take off your list. So that should be a fun night a week from tonight. Uh, so we'll get into the Argos. Most uh, most CFL talk, the Ticats suck right now. Uh, we can get into that as well. If you're an Argos fan, they always do. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, Laura Armstrong from the Toronto Star has touched down in Boston. She's there for the Red Sox and uh, your Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Blue Jays lose another series on the weekend. We'll get into that a couple of seconds later uh, from now. And uh, Bob Weeks will join us as well, TSN golf analyst. I watched, I watched more of the U.S. Women's Open than I intended to. Over the weekend, um, it turned out to be fairly interesting. Um, I don't know if this helps or hurts viewership, but there were not a whole lot of North American golfers in the top ten. I don't think there were any when all was said and done. No Americans. Brooke Henderson flirted with the top ten. I think she was t thirteen uh, by the by the time all was said and done. And we 
aside from Thursday, Friday, we rarely saw Brooke Henderson on television, which was sad because, you know, we're Canadian. That may be our rooting interest. Uh, but there were there were a lot of uh, a lot of non uh, in fact basically all North non North Americans on the uh, on the leaderboard which must have driven Trump insane. No Americans in the top ten. So I guess there is that. Uh, but uh, I, I found it uh, extremely fascinating. And there was a seventeen year old amateur that had a chance to win this thing. Would have been the youngest golfer to win a major. Uh, Brooke Henderson is second on that list. But she hasn't turned... I don't think she's hit 18 yet. And if she didn't drop one in the drink on a par 3 on the 16th hole on Sunday, she may have won the tournament. Fascinating. It was it was really, really interesting. Uh, to me, anyway. Uh, I was watching some of that and kind of... Um, I was keeping an eye on the Honda Indy down on the waterfront. And it used to be that that was absolutely can't-miss television or that one date on the calendar that locally you would circle, you would underscore, and you would say, that's the weekend I want to be a part of. The parties downtown, the races themselves, and I don't know if it's just the change in the overall interest in motorsport. It doesn't seem to have the same cachet it once did. I might be wrong on that. The people who who go, obviously go every year, they have a blast, and those aren't the people that I'm talking about. The gearheads are going to go. This is Christmas for gearheads. Not just one discipline, they're able to watch many races and all of the qualifying and go and get those up-close-and-personal experiences with cars and or drivers. It's a really well-laid-out uh, event. Spectacular event. But is it just is it just me or does there just not seem to be that je ne sais quoi about the event anymore? Where there used to be, you know, like I say, it was one of the main events on the Toronto sports scene for a long time. Go back ten years, fifteen years. Different sponsor at the time. You know, we talk about Honda Indy now. It was Molson Indy at the time. Oh, when's a Molson Indy? That would come up often. And if it, if it came the week of the event, it was always, "Are you going downtown?" Are you going to go to the race or are you just going to go hit the bars the night before? Because the entertainment district would be absolutely jumping that weekend. Uh, but we can get into that a little bit later on as well. And uh, we'll get into that with Bruce Arthur. I watched the race yesterday in its entirety. Um, but there were times where it was a little more than white noise. It was, I, I, it was an interesting race. I mean, you have one of the favorites in willpower go out in the first lap. And then it looked like... It almost looked like a, a, a cycling race, like the Tour de France, where you get that first group, the peloton that goes way out in front, and then everybody else is kind of fighting for whatever place behind the lead group. And then because of a yellow, they ended up getting pushed to the back. It was really fascinating to watch. And one of the beneficiaries of that was James Hinchcliffe, and he talked about you know hitting the podium in Toronto for a second straight year. We had lots of luck when we came before. It was just all bad luck. And, it, and it's nice that the last two years has kind of changed. And, you know, I, I would be remiss to say, to, you know, to not mention that both both these podiums really came as a result of, uh, of strategy going our way and, and yellow flags falling our way. James Hinchcliffe. Oakville's own. The, uh, the the interesting, I guess, subplot and the story within the story that was dealt with um, often in the last few laps of the race, probably the last 15 laps specifically, was the weather. 
and you could see when they would take the wide shot looking west into the west end of the city, you could see uh, the clouds. And the strategy changed. Um, guys staying out on the course a little longer than they may have normally, thinking that they might be able to get an advantage uh, if if a yellow came up because of the weather. The good news is, for those who were in the stands, they didn't get dumped on. There were parts of the city yesterday. You, I don't know if you got caught in some of this rain or not, but it buckets, absolute buckets at times. Uh, there were there were areas that got a little bit, and there were those that got a lot. And there was a little bit of sprinkling from time to time down on the waterfront, but they didn't really get the deluge that they could have. And and that was very good as far as Hinchcliffe was concerned. I just kind of kept my head down and kept my foot down. And uh, luckily, I think this is the second time that happened. Like as soon as the race ended, it started to rain. So uh, we're glad that Mother Nature played nice today. So that's uh, James Hinchcliffe and uh, his thoughts on, uh, on, on what happened out on the waterfront yesterday. And uh, again, you know, as Canadians... For the most part, it doesn't happen always because there might be a Canadian athlete that you just think is a jerk for one reason or the other. I don't think Hinchcliffe has given anybody a reason to think that. Uh, but you always seem to have that that rooting interest, right? You have Brooke Henderson. You may not watch the Women's Open at all. It might not be on your sports radar. But if Brooke Henderson's in the top five going into Sunday, well, you may watch. You may not watch Wimbledon unless Rounich or Bouchard are involved. So the fact that Hinchcliffe was able to stick around, he was sort of leading that second group for a long time. The four drivers had distanced themselves. Hinchcliffe was fifth. And then he ends up moving up and, and taking a podium. So so good for James Hinchcliffe. And that's great for the locals as well, right? I know this is a big international event and people come. A lot of gearheads come up from the States uh, to spend their money here in Toronto. And if you're listening on your way out of town after uh, spending a couple of days here in Toronto, thank you for coming up and dropping some American bucks up here. We enjoy that, especially with the, uh, with the exchange rate. We're very grateful for Yankee Doodle dollars. Um, but, uh, but thank you for that. And I hope you had a great time. Uh, but uh, the, the the fans here in Toronto obviously were thrilled to see Hinchcliffe get on the podium again. And uh, the the other big story yesterday, obviously, uh, was the Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, they end up losing the series. That was that not like the most typical Blue Jays game? Like if you wanted to underscore the Toronto Blue Jays series and say, draw up a game that would best personify the Jays series and and just or Jays season to date, and do it in one game. Okay, what did we get? We got the Jays' offense relying on home runs. They got five runs yesterday. All came via the home run. Okay, let's check that box. That seems to be a regular occurrence. They got subpar starting pitching. Okay, we can check that box. That wasn't supposed to be a box we were checking often when uh, spring training broke this year, but we can check that one again. The defense was awful again yesterday. Just terrible. Miscommunication in the outfield. One of the slowest players in baseball at first base. Booting another one. That just that's that sums it up, doesn't it? It's a bad baseball team. So now they sit at 42 and 49. There are seven teams ahead of them. Racing for the second wild card spot. 
So now we are left with 71 games. This math is not good. This math does not work for the Toronto Blue Jays. This math underscores why they have to start divesting themselves of any contract that they don't think is good or any player that they don't want long-term. 71 games left. To get to the 90-win plateau, (laughs) they would have to go 48-23. and That's 676 baseball. Only one team in the majors is playing 676 baseball. That's the Dodgers of Los Angeles. They're playing 688 ball. 85 wins in the grand scheme of things is not a hell of a lot of wins to make a playoff spot. But with the general, I don't know, blah, of the American League this year, 85 wins might do it. To get to the 85 win mark, the Toronto Blue Jays would have to go 43 and 28. <laughs> 606 ball down the stretch. There are only three teams in Major League Baseball playing at a 600 clip this year the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Washington Nationals. And that's it. Arizona is next in line at 576. That underscores what the Blue Jays have to do. When you look at the standings and you look at the win column, only Detroit and the White Sox have fewer wins than the Toronto Blue Jays do this year. And we know the White Sox are in selling mode, and they beat the rush. They got rid of Quintana. They got four prospects, two of whom are apparently going to be really good. One is going to be really, really good if they pan out. And Quintana did all right yesterday. Cubs are very happy with that so far. One game in. That's what the Jays have ahead of them. And they've got four in Boston tonight. Now, the good news is they miss Porcello and they miss Price because they both pitched yesterday in the doubleheader that they split with the Yankees. So that might be a bit of a break. They don't miss Chris Sale unless it rains. So if you're a Blue Jays fan... Pray that the rain that missed the waterfront yesterday somehow magically veers to the southeast and hovers over Boston for a few days. Because right now a rainout might be the best thing that the Jays have, and they certainly need some sort of divine intervention to get into the playoffs. So the bottom line is, unless something really, 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 really freaking bizarre happens, the Toronto Blue Jays are not going to make the playoffs this year. So now you have to take a look at things. And if you are one of those eternal optimists thinking, oh, they can do it. If they're able to play spectacular baseball down the stretch and there has been no indication that this team is capable of doing that, then you can be that glass half full kind of person. It's just, it's just not very realistic. Sorry to burst the bubble. So now you have to look at which players you may want to move out of Dodge. And we can get into the Jays a little bit more. Joining us now, you see him on the reporters. You read him regularly in the Toronto Star. Mr. Bruce Arthur is on the line. What's up, Bruce? Hoagie, how are you, my man? I am better than good. How was the weekend? Did you get down to the county? 
Uh, I'm out in the county and on a deck. So I'll just say this. I haven't totally messed it up yet, so I feel great about that. I like the fact that you say yet. <laughs> that is good. Is this something new? Have you ever done this before? I have never done this before. My brothers-in-law have done this, um, and my uncles were really good at this, but I've never tried it. We currently have half the boards in. They're all pretty much where they're supposed to be. We still have a bunch of boards to cut, pre-drill, place, screw in. But I think it's going to be fine. There's still a railing that I knocked out that I have to replace. But other than that, we're most of the way there. I wish I had that gene. I missed that gene. I just I don't have that. I I could I could absolutely screw up anything. Make a birdhouse, not going to happen. Oh no, I can absolutely do that too. Like that's where my wife is actually helpful too. She's pretty smart when it comes to cuts and stuff like that. But like I'm useful in that. Remember about sixteen hundred nails in the old deck, mm-hmm. and I pulled every last one of them up oh. um, one by one in the sun. Uh, and then in terms of putting boards down, it's just a matter of. Don't go too fast because that's really how you screw up. But in the end, decks, as long as they're like, this is a rectangular deck, not too complicated, only one level. Again, I haven't screwed it up yet. I, did, I just did my big thing for the summer, and we, we redid our front lawn. Like, I took out shrubs and trees. Oh, and yeah. What would you consider a goodly number of those leaf yard waste bags? What would you consider a good number to put out? Oh, I live in the forest, so uh, if you're doing a big job, you're looking at like a minimum of 10. Okay, what would you consider a ton of bags? Uh, then you're looking in the 20 range where it looks like it looks like a convention. How about 160? <laughs> uh, in that case, your lawn must look amazing. Oh, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it worked out, and I really want to thank my neighbor for letting me uh, the, use his front yard to help put out bags. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, yeah, let's get to sports. How much did you beat yourself up on the weekend by watching the U.S. Women's Open and looking for Donald Trump? Yeah, you know, golf has a bit of a Donald Trump problem. I mean, the world has a bit of a Donald <laughs> Trump problem. Um, but he's more closely linked to golf than any other sport, and that sure. includes the New England Patriots and support for those guys. Um, but in this case, like, he's front and center, and he's involved. And one thing about golf is that it is a traditionally fairly conservative, fairly affluent sport. Sure. Um, and so there is, as much as people kind of go with the, the kind of – blue-collar, working-class myth of Donald Trump supporters is the income was actually higher than average. So there is a certain constituency for him there. And there's also the fact that some people are fascinated by and will always respond well to famous people unless they're mass murderers, right? Like, just the power of celebrities is really powerful. But in terms of golf, like, if you're a women's golfer, are you super excited about Donald Trump being at this course? Are you super excited about the course being the site? The U.S. Women's Open, I, I mean, everyone makes their decision on that, but he's worse on women, on, on things like that, as we saw during the campaign, than on most other things. So it's just an, for me, it's an uncomfortable situation for them. It's a small part of a much bigger, more uncomfortable, more damaging, more dangerous picture. Um, but in this case, if you stand next to Donald Trump, whether willingly or unwillingly, I really think we're at a point where you either say something, and that's a choice, positive or negative, and if you don't say something, that's also a choice. Sure. And that's how big the issue is. 
I, I want to stay on women's golf, and I wanted to open that door. And this is big picture because I assume you were out decking it for the most part over the weekend. <laughs> um, Brooke Henderson has accomplished more already than Jeannie Bouchard has. Sure. Uh, Brooke Henderson plays a sport that is more popular among most Canadians than Jeannie Bouchard does. Mm-hmm. She's won a major. She has four wins on the tour. Why isn't she a bigger star than Jeannie Bouchard in this country? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, and, and the obvious answer is that Jeannie Bouchard was a product of both concentrated hype in terms of three majors and three slams in a year where she yeah. went really deep, but also the fact that no sport sells the looks and overall aesthetic package of its athletes like women's tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's a long history of this going way back. We can name names over the years, like Maria Sharapova sure. is the current, still the current queen. Anna Kornikova was like the prototype for a lack of accomplishment, but but looks carrying you into a higher place of celebrity. The it girl. Yeah, and that, and that was, uh, there was a part of that. There was a little bit of that marketing, not a lot for Jeannie Bouchard, but tennis, there's an established place in tennis, not just in Canada, but across the world, for the young, usually blonde, very attractive women's tenor who's also accomplished. And for a little while, she was accomplished. Mm-hmm. And so that, 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 that burst was bigger. And women's tennis, I think, is a bigger sport, even though golf's more popular in terms of playing it. Women's tennis is a much more high-profile sport across the world. Like sure. Everybody knows Serena Williams. Yep. Everybody knows Maria Sharapova. If you talk about the best women's golfers in the world, it would be difficult, I would argue, for most sure. Canadians. Absolutely. Anybody in the top five. So for Brooke Henderson, I think she's working from uh, she, there's less there's less of a TV deal in terms of the, the tournaments she's won. Uh, like a tennis slam is omnipresent, a women's golf major isn't, and I think that's a part of it. But all the other part of it is just the archetypes that society has already set up, especially within sports. She fits like Jean Bouchard fits much more naturally um, for right, rightly or wrongly. And Brooke Henderson, who started doing this when she was younger, and therefore that I mean that's another factor is that. It's harder to slot her into the it girl uh, kind of spot, just purely on age. Um, but she, she just she's coming from a smaller place of celebrity, and there's less of an infrastructure there for her to arrive at once she's arrived, and she clearly has. Bruce Arthur joining us from the Toronto Star and uh, the reporters on TSN. How many nails did you say you uh, pulled out of your deck? About 1,600, but i got to be honest, it's not an exact count. Can you take some of those 1,600 nails and drive them into the coffin of the Toronto Blue Jays now? Well, okay, so what did the Oakland Athletics do over the weekend, right? They unloaded. Tra- traded away two of their best bullpen arms. Sonny Gray is apparently on the market. Yep. They are one spot behind the Jays in the wildcard chase. And you can argue about how Billy Bean does his job. You can say that Billy Bean, I mean, Josh Donaldson, we get a front-row seat to see one of the best players in baseball. Sure. With a, not a lot of return. So Billy Bean is no longer the kind of godlike figure that he was in Moneyball. But in terms of their, their rational, relatively rational assessment of where they are going forward, I mean, do little 30, it makes sense to trade him. It absolutely does. Like it's a, it, he was a really popular player in Oakland, and the A's decided they want to have players they can control when, when, if and when they get to a new stadium. Okay, fine. With the Jays, it's been such a funny dance since the Shapiro and Atkins team came here. Because when they first came here, they wanted to blow it up, and then they went, okay, we can't really blow it up. It's too popular, and they're too good. And they went through a year where they were still pretty good, got to the Final Four again. This team right now is a bad team. It's a bad team, and if if the American League weren't so relentlessly mediocre, it would be more apparent how bad they are. 
and they're an old team. And, and that was always coming. We always knew that was coming. But it just, it just hasn't worked. And there are tradable assets here. And so at some point, like, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I think, maybe a little longer, Ross Atkins said, you know, the next couple of weeks are going to determine where we go on the season. I still do think that management is caught between a rational rebuild, which you can almost name the players now who you'd want to move, sure. who you who you'd like the guy, like just look at at the years of control left and their age, and that that it's almost a mathematical formula. Um, but I think when you are an owner like Rogers, which is a publicly traded company, money matters, and this team's still bringing in an enormous amount of money between thirty five and forty five thousand people every night. Huge, a huge merchandising boost. We've seen it since the 2015. This is a prime brand with a huge amount of money coming into Rogers. Not like on the bigger Rogers scale, but they're making money. And if you blow that up, what happens? What happens to a market that's become a red-hot baseball market? So I think this team is done. Like I, There's an outside chance, and I'll absolutely put this out there, that three or four or five guys, the right guys, could all take off together and carry this team and they could be right in the wild card chase and maybe into the playoffs by the end of the season. But so far, every chance they've had to catch that updraft hasn't happened. And this Atkins and Shapiro can wait and do all their business at the winter meetings, or they can start making rational decisions a little sooner. I think just watching this team, I think you're closer to the rational decision part where you start selling off some pieces, not every piece, but the pieces that you can, you can get something for right now. I can only imagine how good the first beverage is going to be on the new deck when you christen it. Bruce, thanks thanks you so bet. much for doing this. You bet, Hoagie. That is Bruce Arthur joining us from the Toronto Star and TSN's The Reporters. Up next, Dan Ralph from Canadian Press on the Canadian Football League. Uh, look at the Argos week ahead as well. Bob Weeks, Laura Armstrong with some Jays talk as we continue uh, with Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Thirty-one twenty-nine before noon. It's Toronto today on TSN ten fifty. Mike Hogan and for Gareth Wheeler today. Wheels will be back next week. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Our poll question today, and you can uh, you can vote on Twitter uh, at TSN ten fifty radio, or I have retweeted it so you can find it at TSN Mike Hogan. Would love to have you follow me. I like to I like to get into discussions with folks on the Twitter machine. Um, and as long as you are civil, I have no problem. We disagree. That's great. That's what sports is all about. Good, healthy debate, and then tipping a beverage afterwards. Isn't that, isn't that what you do? You go, you you argue with your buddies, and then you have a pop. Uh, the biggest sports story in Toronto this year is our question today: Is it uh, S.J. Green and Ricky Ray? Is it TFC being dominant again? Is it the falling Toronto Blue Jays? Is it the Raptors? reshuffling the deck um you can vote as mentioned at tsn 1050 radio at tsn mike hogan would love to have you uh take part in that speaking of the uh, ray and green combo uh talk all things cfl right now uh with a uh, beat writer who has covered the canadian football league for at least a year now uh from uh, canadian press and a member of the football reporters of canada hall of fame the esteemed mr dan ralph how am i supposed how am i supposed to not trash you now because I because I just gave you the big build up. Yeah, a year now. <laughs> well, how long have you been on the? So honestly, how long have you written about? When was your first year on the CFL beat? Who was prime minister back in nineteen ninety? I was going to say when you started. Who's the prime minister? I was going to say John <laughs> McDonald, but 
Yeah, no, it's it's, it's been a while. It's it, it all melds into one, so you're not far from the. So truth. you were you were a, you were a Mulroney baby. Oh, don't say that. What? I, I, I never voted for him. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, you know, we never. Whenever they, whenever the prime minister struggled, I never voted for him. Yeah, there you go. Let's see. What's the most interesting storyline in the CFL so far to you? Wow. Um, there's. Uh, yeah, I can't name. I can't pin one. Can I? Can I give you three? Yeah, yeah sure, absolutely. I, I would. I would say the Ottawa Red Black struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, the BC Lions dominance on the road. Mm-hmm. And. Um, and I don't want to appear homerish, but Ricky Ricky Ray threw four games. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's start with the BC Lions then, uh, and and work our way closer to home. Okay. Um, the Lule story was phenomenal the other night, and you know he comes off the bench, he throws for a career high. Here's a guy who has won the MVP of the league, MOP of the league before, and uh, he just looked spectacular in that win over the Ticats. Yeah, didn't he? And um, and you know there have been so many health issues with him the last two three years mm-hmm. with shoulders and knees. Um, to step in and and be able to be as dominant as he was, it it kind of took me back to two eleven, right? Mm-hmm. You know when when he you know he took BC and was a, a big reason why they won the Grey Cup. He was the the outstanding player and I believe the Grey Cup MVP that year. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, uh, it just makes me wonder though. I mean, and I don't want to diminish what he did because it was a career best, but. Um, maybe the offense that he's in, maybe the system that Kahari Jones is 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 calling is should be given more credit for the. the you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, I think everybody at this level can throw. Everybody at this level can run. Um, but a he's getting they're getting him and Jonathan Jennings are getting great protection up front. And I think you can make the argument, hence, that their running game is is also solid because of that. But I mean, um, you know, if you got a quarterback who can throw the ball accurately, look at the receivers he's got to play with. Sure. You know, either he or or Jonathan Jennings. So, but I, you know, I mean, but and I'm not going to diminish what Travis did because, uh, you know, as I'm watching it, and uh, you're just looking, going, wow. And I mean, he got he got he was helped by some great catch, Burnham's catch. I still don't understand how the heck he made that catch. Yeah. But I mean, um, you know, the ball's got to be close for him to make it. So um, that, to me, is—I mean, to this point—is probably the single most impressive performance I've seen uh, through four weeks. The, this the, year. the Burnham catch was spectacular, but I thought the biggest play in that football game was early. When Lule throws an interception on a two-point conversion attempt early in the game, uh, they would have uh, taken lead 8-7 yeah. at that time. Yeah. And it's picked off, and who goes back and makes the tackle? Travis Lule saving yeah. the two points. And Hamilton needed something good to happen, right? Because they've not played well. And I thought that could have been such a huge turn of momentum. And Lule, of all people, runs back to midfield and makes an open field tackle. I thought that was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and I seem to recollect after that. I mean, they, they, he threw that pick, and then Hamilton got the ball, did nothing with it, and then DC turned turn yep. around and went marched the field and scored a touchdown. Yep. And so I, I think, you know, to add credence to your point, yeah, I think that was because it was still a ball game then. Absolutely. And, um, and um, I forgot that he'd made the tackle. I, I, I remember him throwing the pick. I forgot he'd made the tackle, which makes it even more spectacular than what, than, um, than what, uh, than what I thought. So, um, but I think, yeah, you know what, I think you can, um, you can really make the argument, though, what you're saying, that that was a, a turning point because nothing went right for Hamilton after that. I uh, want to. Uh, want to. You, you mentioned Ottawa. Ottawa's here a week from now, and they've played. Their football has not been terrible so far this year, but they haven't won a game yet. Um, should they be worried, or is this just okay? We're going to play some teams like Hamilton, like Saskatchewan, like Montreal, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll get them then. 
Well, I mean, the East Division being what it is, um, I wouldn't be overly concerned. But what would concern me even more, Mike, is the fact that they're playing a number of games in a very condensed time. And if they fall, I mean, if they don't start winning shortly, I mean, they're going to be a third of the way through the season and be over. And, you know, that's not a – I mean, that could cost them a home playoff game. And we all know how important those are in July, especially in Ottawa. Um, So, I mean, I don't think you press the panic button, and I don't think Rick Campbell will. But I, I don't think you want to go zero six and one after you're after you're done this little stretch where they have to play a number of games in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So um, I would think you know they're, I mean they're they're playing against Montreal on Wednesday. That's going to be no mean feat, given that the the Owls are running high after beating Calgary last week, and then they're gonna, they're going to come to Toronto, and and Toronto's not an easy out by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, I mean. So you're o three and one uh, right now. You don't want to be o five and one going through a third of the season. But they could very easily be undefeated oh, at this stage. Like e- very easily e- be undefeated. Easily. I mean, I think those three losses have been by a combined six points. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, the, I, I watched uh, I watched their game against Edmonton, and um, they deserved a better fate. You know, but I mean, I think, but I think you can say that you can make that argument for, like you said, all three games that they have lost. I mean, they lost to Calgary. Um, Tough game. Yeah. They, they lost a the one pointer to Toronto when where they were leading. I've, correct me if I'm wrong by two touchdowns. Yeah. And then um, and then this last one against Edmonton. They like I said they deserve better for it. So you're right. They could be they could be three zero and one very easily. Uh, Dan Rolfe joining us from Canadian Press, a little CFL talk. Uh, you mentioned the Ricky Ray uh, co- uh, element of the Argos off the top. What is it in his game that uh, you seem uh, that you see that seems to have. I guess captured the fountain of youth. Well, I just—I mean, I, I can't say pass protection because I've seen him take some yeah. some wicked hits this year, and I mean, not the least of which was that one in Winnipeg where I don't understand why it wasn't. I mean, I don't want to sound homers, but he he took a shot to the head, and I thought the league was trying to curb those. Um, but I just think you know he he's 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 got a, a very good receiving core, and um, I mean, I don't know what he and SJ are drinking in terms of of. of the same water because those two seem to be on the same page already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's also got uh, you know he, he's got Posey when when he comes back, and uh, and and I like you know what they have. Um, I think Brandon Whitaker is a very good receiver coming out of the backfield. Um, Wilder, I think, uh, I'm, can can be the same sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I just think he's got some nice weapons. I think he's being uh, you know. A, Whatever system that they're doing with with Tressman's offense, I think it seems to to work for uh, for Ricky, and I think it's much of the. I think it's knowing that he's the starter and knowing that he's going to be the starter regardless. I mean, love Cody uh, Fajardo, but I don't think Cody's going to supplant Ricky unless sure. Ricky throws eight interceptions. Uh, how have so, you enjoyed uh, dealing with Tressman? Love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. You give him you give him a good question, and he gives you a thoughtful answer. Bingo. And um, and I you know what I'll um, I'll I'll take that any day of the week. I mean, uh, there are coaches that you give them a good answer and then they give you the cliche. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not going to get a cliche from Mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you ask him a very short question, he's going to give you a short answer. But if you put a little thought into it and and give him the impression that you've thought of it and that you have a little bit of knowledge of what you're talking about, then I think you're going to get that back in spades. I, I found out what his pet peeve is already, and I was out at a practice again yesterday, and I'm sure you've seen this uh, when you've been out at York, where if you half-ass it at all off the field, he will snap. 
Mm. I mean, he want, you know he's all about tempo, right? And whether it's the tempo of a game, the tempo of an offense, or the tempo of practice, um, he doesn't like wasting time. And he did it again yesterday where there were some guys who were, uh, to use the Bull Durham term, they were lollygagging off mm. the uh, field. And boy, he, he let them know it. And, uh, you know, he's also the guy that can turn around and, and high-five one of those guys after they do something good in practice. Um, but I, 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 I really found it interesting watching him um, a little bit more often, obviously, than we did when, when he was in Montreal and we were here. He's a fascinating guy to watch during practice. Yeah, I just find him a fascinating guy to watch, period. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you're right. Um, I just... You know, I mean, he. Uh, the thing that impressed me during training camp is the amount of time he he spent watching the defense. Yes. I think you and I spoke about that. Yep. Um, how much time he spent w- looking over the defense, watching what they were doing, watching who was where, and um, that's not something we've seen a lot of. Usually, and, and just to, for those who aren't sure, usually if if the the head coach is going to be more hands on with one side of the football or the other. <clears throat> most recent aspect, or most recent example would be Scott Milanovic, offensive mind. Almost dealt primarily with the offense yep. and said to his defensive coordinators, whether it's Chris Jones or Rich Stewart or whoever, you run the defense and I'll make the decisions game day. But you're right. Tressman looking over the defense almost as often as he's watching the offense. Yeah, I hope he's watching special teams because um, there, there's some, there's, you know, I mean, as, as great as, as Jackson was this past weekend, there's some concerns there too. So. What's your biggest? I mean, they had the blocks, and they they that's seem the, to have taken that, that out. Yeah, that to me is the is the biggest concern because that to me is scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And and you know it happens once. Okay, we fix the scheme. It happens twice. Okay, we have to re-examine the scheme. It happens again. It's like what the heck? But it, it happened twice in the same game, and yeah. the next practice, um, they had they assumed that Liram Hirolahu, the ball was coming out low off mm. his foot. So they had this drill where they were taking blocking dummies, and they had the second level, the linebackers, holding up these these blocking dummies yeah. to make sure that Hyrulahu got the ball up at a, at a higher angle, and it worked. And I actually asked Ivan. I said, "Did you find that online? Was that is that is that a common drill?" He goes, "No, nah, we had to do something, and I just I just figured out this would be a way to work." Well, that's encouraging because um, you're right; something had to be done. You, you, you don't want you don't want a, a block can uh, can be such a huge momentum swing sure. and both ways and good and bad so I mean to give up two yeah I mean like I said when it happens once you go okay it happens twice it's like um now we have to reexamine and if it happens a third time it's like what the heck before I let you go a week from tonight the uh, the ninety seven Argos will be honored as the uh, as the Argos take on the Red Blacks of BMO when I say Doug Flutie what comes to mind greatest player I've ever seen yeah. No doubt. Why? Um, because he could ad lib. Because um, there was no. I mean, if he called the play, and from what in this, and I don't know this because I wasn't in the huddle, but from what the players would say is they would call the play. But if the play broke down, he had he had the the ability to ad lib, yep. and the guys around him knew that if something happened, okay, then we do this, and they could do, they could do stuff. Off the cuff, or he would. Uh, you, you and I have heard the same stories. He go in the huddle and he call a play, and he goes, "Oh, but by the way, instead of doing this, you're going to do that." And he would almost draw it up in the sand. He did. That, I, I asked Robert Drummond that once yeah. because they ran. They used to run that shovel pass to pinball a lot up the mm-hmm. A gap, mm-hmm. and um, they did it uh, once in Saskatchewan where uh, they faked it to pinball. 
and he took two, or sorry, they used to run it to Drummond all the time. And then uh, they faked it to Drummond. Flutie took two more steps back, and then Pinball came in from his slot spot and took the, the shovel pass and followed Drummond up the same gap. Yeah. And, and I asked Drummond, I said, I haven't seen you guys work on that in practice. How long have you had that? And he starts laughing. He goes, Flutie made it up in the huddle. Yep. I said, what do you mean? He said he got down like we were playing in the sandlot, and he was making yep. X's and O's on the ground and said, you do this, you do this, you follow him. And it was like a 19-yard gain. It was like, I, I was killing myself laughing, but that was Doug Flutie. And I think that's what he did, and especially when you know he had so many playmakers around him that I mean you couldn't take a play off because you never you know you, you call a running play for crying out loud and the, and the receiver would go okay I got a block on this well what if I mean would it would it not be out of the realm of possibility if Doug saw something he would take the ball out of the gut and then go and run it and do something else and you know what killed him he couldn't do that in the NFL. Yeah. He told me the story. They were in New Very England. Very regimented, right? Yep. And, and, and I think Rod Rust was a head coach in New England, and Irving Fryer was the number one target, and, and they ran a, I'll just say, they ran a, a post pattern. And it was, uh, it was incomplete, and Flutie saw something, and he went to Fryer, and he said, if they give us that defense a, again, I'm going to look at you, I'll give you the nod, I want you to run a post corner, and it'll be six. And Fryer goes, okay, whatever. So Flutie looks over and, and, you know, he gets the computer working and he sees the defense that they're giving him. He looks over at Fryer, gives him the nod, looks back, and uh, sure enough, runs it, touchdown pass. All is good, right? He comes back to the, to the bench and Rod Rust lit him. Yeah. into him saying, what are you doing? You know, they score a touchdown. Yep. And he still catches hell for it. So for, for a guy that. with Flutie's, yeah. you know, uh, ability to, to, to think on the fly, this was the perfect sport for him. Well, especially in the longer, wider field. And yeah. um, you know what? And you, 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 I just I agree with you. I just think it, it just sort of he saw he, he managed to see the field in a way where you could almost see, you know, the, the mind working like, okay, well, he's here if we go there and that type thing. And I just think it, you're right. It allowed him to think outside the box. And, and that, that was dangerous. That, that was just, he just made everybody better around. I mean, I hate to use that cliche, sure. but he, he did make everybody around him better. He sure did. Dan, a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. And I expect you to wear the Hall of Fame jacket on, <laughs> uh, on Monday night. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Take care, man. Dan Ralph joining us from Canadian Press, covers the Canadian Football League. Argos and uh, Red Blacks a week from tonight here on TSN 1050. Uh, up next, uh, we'll get into our poll question of the day and also some Jays talk coming up in the next hour. Also, a visit from Bob Weeks as we continue with Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Fifty-one nine before noon. This is Toronto Today. Hogan and for Wheeler on TSN 1050. Scotty Mack back in the one chair at 1 o'clock on the Scott MacArthur Show. The baseball hour between 3 and 4. Uh, get out of your vehicle lease ASAP. Over 200,000 customers per month are looking to take over your lease. What a relief. Go to leasebusters.com. Uh, Joe Narsa is the producer of the program today. Keith Bauer is the technical poobah. Uh, Joe, there every once in a while there is a, a nugget of wisdom that comes out of your mouth. Really? What did you just say about muffins? The devil's work. The devil's work. Yes. Why are muffins the devil's work? Because every poor human being looks at a beautiful muffin and mm. thinks to themselves, this is healthy for me. Mm -hmm. But it is not. It is like filled with calories and it's like 500 and something calories for a very good like brand banana muffin. What's your favorite muffin? 
It's a double chocolate chip muffin. So if I, that, that might be I, a bit of a problem right well, there. Well, if it's a devil's work, you got to just sink into there. You, go big devil or go home. Exactly. Um, so if I were to place a double chocolate chip muffin in front of you right now. Yes. Yes or no? No, I can't do it. Wow. I know. I don't believe that for a second. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that well, we'll test that out in the 12 o'clock hour. Oh, that could, because I, I, I won the uh, the uh, the roll up the wind donut and I offered it and you said, oh, you can get muffins as well. I said, yeah. would you like the muffin? And you said, no, they're the devil's work. Yeah, because if you go into a Tim Hortons and you look at the you know caloric intake beside uh-huh. a donut, it's yep. like 200 calories. Uh-huh. Then you look at a muffin and you're like, I'm going to eat healthy. Next thing you know, the belt's a little tighter. Oh, there we go. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll get more. We should try the experiment just to see if he does it or not. Uh, what has been the biggest sports story this summer in Toronto, we ask at TSN 1050 Radio on Twitter. Is it? Uh, the combination of S.J. Green and Ricky Ray. Is it TFC's dominance again? Is it the falling Blue Jays or is it the reshuffling of the Raptors? Uh, got uh, 132 votes so far in the uh, little bit of time we've put this up. Uh, right now leading by a considerable amount, and you can imagine this being the Blue Jays, 67%, 2-3, and saying that the, uh, the falling Blue Jays is the story of the summer. TFC's dominance at 14%, S.J. and Ricky at 13%, and the uh, Raptors reshuffling, which is surprising to me. I thought this would be uh, get a lot more response, but only 6% of those voting. Uh, you can vote again at TSN 1050 Radio. I have retweeted it, and I will retweet it again just so it's up a little bit higher in the, uh, in the order, at TSN Mike Hogan. Uh, when we come back, we have Bob Weeks dropping by, and we'll get some golf talk in with Weeksy, looking at the uh, Open uh, that just was held down in Jersey and the Open Championship, which goes this week across the pond. And uh, also... Laura Armstrong from Boston talking Blue Jays as we continue with Toronto Today right here on TSN 1050.